Saludos a todos. Welcome to Connections Plus, our roundtable discussion series on behalf of Beyond Latinx, where we have conversations with the Beyond Latinx crew and invited guests to talk about current projects featuring Latino, Latina, Latinx, and Latin stories and artists. We think about representation of Latinx heritage, and we talk about the way that we're represented in media and entertainment. So my name is Mario De La Cruz. I'm joined today by fellow Beyond Latinx member, Daniel Rodriguez, and our guest contributor today is indie filmmaker and producer, Pedro Urena. Today, we'll be talking about all things film, award season, and Latino, Latina, Latinx, Latine connected storytelling. So for today's conversation, we might switch between those terms. Again, we recognize people have different preferences, so please use whichever words are most comfortable for you. And let's get started by just uh, maybe introducing ourselves and our favorite genre of film. So Daniel, whenever you're ready, go ahead. I don't know if I have a favorite genre of film. There are quite a few I like, you know, anything that uh, moves me, and I know that sounds vague and it's a cheap cop-out answer. Um, but I would say, you know, if there is a preference even by slight much, it's definitely a mystery. Anything that has a story that unfolds and kind of gets me to play the guessing game is something that I prefer. And Pedro? Uh, I love horror movies and I love musicals, usually not together. So no um, sweet thought for you. <laughs> Right. Well, Sweeney Todd is an exception. <laughs> yeah, Sweeney Todd and maybe a little Rocky Horror now and again, but that's camp. Um, yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I agree with both of you. I have a strong appreciation for musicals, for horror, suspense, but I also like a good tearjerker. So if you can get me to cry, I'm <laughs> down for that too. All right. So as we think about, I guess, representation and award season currently, um, we've already seen, again, the nominations out for SAG, we've seen the nominations out for the Critics' Choice, and now the nominations for the Oscars have most recently come out, Golden Globes have already taken place. So um, we're going to focus on both films that have Latinx creators involved, as well as Latinx performers. Why don't we start our conversation with Being the Ricardos? So again, this film is um, written by Aaron Sorkin, and again, it's telling the story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Javier Bardem has gotten quite a bit of attention, including most recently an Oscar nomination for his performance. So I know both of you have had a chance to see it. Let's start with Pedro. What do you think about this film? Um, I thought it was pretty good. I saw it, uh, it feels like a long time ago now um, because time is a concept, but um, I thought it was good. I thought it was well acted. Um, I feel like there could have been more about his Cubanness in the film. And I just didn't feel like there was enough, um, but it did show how um, how strong and in control he was at times. And that's it. <laughs> Daniel, how about you? Um, you know, what I appreciated was the fact that they didn't really attempt to do a biopic. Right? You know, I mean, that that in itself has its pros and cons, but, you know, the mechanism of just taking about a week of their respective lives together, highlighting how they operate as a team, I definitely enjoyed. You know, um, it's, it's interesting that they, you know, went out of their way to pick a week that kind of also tied into, you know, spoiler alert, you know, the kind of communist background that Lucy may or may not have had, and how that tied into Ricky's, you know, experience in Cuba, but you know, that pretty much was just a couple lines in that. But, um, you know, I, I, I 
would be interested in, in kind of digging deeper, which they don't go into, or maybe they do in interviews as to why they chose that particular week. You know, some things happen and they do some flashbacks, but I mean, you know, I wonder if that was probably the best week that encapsulates all of the things that Sorkin wanted to hit, you know, whether it's uh, their respective backgrounds, but, you know, you're also limited to just a two hour, you know, kind of representation of these two people's lives and their relationship working together and their it's, marriage. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, I only think that uh, he chose that week because um, it was going with her her pregnancy oh, and right. how they were trying to write that into the show. And during that time, that was like extremely controversial. So I think he chose that particular time period to show how they navigated uncharted waters through TV. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, tying together sort of both of your points, I think one of the strengths of the film is that it's very much centered in that particular week and the particular events that are happening. One of the things that feels that it's lacking in the film is perhaps that we don't really have the backstory. So if you're not familiar enough with either of them individually, it feels maybe as if you're just sort of watching a minute kind of version of what dramas happen behind the scenes in terms of television production. You don't really get all the context about his Cubanness, about their relationship being multi-ethnic, about the sense that maybe there was pushback from the network specifically because of his, his ethnicity. Mm -hmm. So there's just other ways in which all of those things are subtle and they're there, but if you don't really have the historical knowledge to put it all together, it's not as obvious, I think. Yeah, I guess now would be like old hat that they're an interracial couple, but they were an interracial couple. And that was, I guess for them, for then at that time, it was bizarre. I would have loved to have seen that also, like how the network navigated that. Yeah, including, you know, the one mention that we sort of have of it is where we get the reference to Lucy being offered the show and her kind of making the demand or making the demand rather that he needs to be her co-star mm -hmm. and the pushback that exists and then her ability to kind of navigate that room and say, well, if you want me, this is the deal, take it or leave it. Um, but other than that, there's not really a stronger mention of it elsewhere. And I think the other thing that the film does sort of nicely but not necessarily well is it short it gives credit to him as part of the creative force behind the show but not again in a way that really highlights the magnitude of not only his role at that time but also the legacy of what he ended up creating on television that then gets modeled in so many other sitcoms mm -hmm. and television shows that we see later on mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yep well i had no problem showing her directing scenes though <laughs> yes Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, the other thing which um, we'll touch upon this a little bit later again, obviously, is there's been quite a bit of conversation as of late um, related to casting choices and thinking about sort of representation on the basis of nationality and ethnicity. And so clearly Javier Bardem is a Spaniard playing a Cuban. Mm -hmm. And so I think there are ways in which this will probably come up in some of our other conversation as well. Mm -hmm. um, let's mm -hmm. switch gears and move over to Nightmare Alley, which also has received quite a bit of buzz this award season. Um, interestingly, it's been nominated for Best Film at the Oscars. It was also nominated for Best Film um, at the Globes. Guillermo del Toro had been acknowledged in some spaces, but not in others. He's not been given a Best Direction nod for the Oscars. Um, this is, again, a reinterpretation, let's say, of the original film from 1947. 
Um, and so I know both of you had a chance to see this as well too. Daniel, why don't you give us uh, your thoughts? Sure, so the most prominent thing to me that and what I thoroughly enjoyed was the set designs, the wardrobe, um, you know, wasn't the biggest fan of the story. I didn't know um, until actually having a conversation with Pedro that the story is actually, this is a remake of an original movie. Um, you know, I was looking forward to seeing it in part because of the director, Guillermo del Toro. You know, there's other movies of his that I've enjoyed and he's always been someone that takes the visual into, into um, his work and, you know, presents something so beautifully. Um, but, you know, overall, I uh, wasn't really a fan of the story. I agree. <laughs> I liked it as a visual aesthetic exercise. Um, the production design is top notch. Costumes are wonderful. Makeup is fantastic. Um, some of the acting is fine. Um, but overall, I found the story extremely underwhelming. Um, I, I'm aware of the original film was um, done uh, during the Hayes Code. And that film had to work its way around that by doing much more subtle things that I feel was a benefit to the original film. And with this remake, without having those um, roadblocks, he was able to do everything he wanted. And I think it, it worked to the, det the detractment of the film, you know? Um, but uh, it's, it's not his worst, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Offline, I want to ask you what was his worst, but that'll be a separate conversation. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> visually there's no denying that, of course, it is a compelling film to watch, you know, between, again, the costuming between the sets between the lighting and the way in which it's shot like all those interior shots in Kate Blanchett's office you're like Gorgeous. kind of just drawn in and you're like oh my goodness what's happening right um as, as well as as they've discussed in interviews they had a full-scale carnival built that they were able to then move around as they were shooting and so mm -hmm. you know the world building that really took place I think on this was great um I wasn't un I wasn't unhappy with the acting performances in this film so they were all I think well done. I think there was maybe a little bit of a pacing issue where it felt like for a film that as we've seen with other films sort of happens that kind of gets billed as one thing and then ends up being something else. Yeah. For a film that was billed as being more horror perhaps than suspense, it really lands more squarely on like suspense slash like moral tale, right? And so yeah. when you're kind of waiting for like, you know, the next thing to happen, there's this pacing kind of, which is still beautifully done, mm -hmm. but doesn't maybe keep you as engaged. Um, I really, again, enjoyed the story overall. I just think that there's a way that maybe he could have moved through it slightly differently. Um, there's a time jump that happens and maybe, I don't know if in some ways that helps or hurts the progression of, of the narrative. It hurts it. Yeah. It hurts it. Cause the first half for me was, was fine. It moved along very well. And then that time jump, kind of screwed me up and I didn't care as much about the second half as I did about the first half you know and a lot of the characters then are just gone they just disappear from that time jump and it's it's a little jarring and not um 
I don't know. I feel it's it's unfortunate that it doesn't utilize the ensemble to its best effect. Yeah, I think that there's um, there's definitely chemistry across the cast, and I think that this script in and of itself is actually lovely. Um, because it gives you a lot of character development for each of the characters individually. Um, but I think that there are ways in which, again, the story as it progresses, there are just points at which you either want it to move just a bit quicker or want it to slow down. And sometimes it's not doing that in the way that mm -hmm. it keeps us as engaged as we'd like to be. Um, so let's switch gears again. Another Latino directed uh, film that's been receiving some awards buzz is Tick, Tick, Boom. This is the directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda, obviously very well known for other projects. And so this being his first feature length uh, film directorial debut on Netflix, um, the film has gotten more attention and particularly Andrew Garfield has gotten a lot of attention. Um, Pedro, I know you've had a chance to see this already, but uh, what did you walk away thinking after watching this? that Andrew Garfield can do anything he puts his mind to. <laughs> he was wonderful, you know, a well-deserved uh, nomination. He, he eats that movie up and he takes it with him. Um, he's the bona fide star of the whole thing and everything else kind of just is secondary to him. Yeah, I mean, and that's not like, that's not saying that the movie's bad. Um, is just a vehicle for him. Yeah, I think the musical numbers are shot really beautifully. And I think there are ways in which they pay homage to both Jonathan Larson and his way of storytelling through song. Um, so the songs and the performances feel very evocative of Rent, right? There's this mm -hmm. kind of stylistic way that these references kind of cross over from each of the shows that are kind of referenced in the film um, in terms of his, his individual creations. Um, but I think that, again, this is sort of one of those where the pacing was a little bit weird. And yeah. so obviously, if you're familiar with the story of Jonathan Larson, then we know that he's going to um, pass away by the end of the film. Mm -hmm. um, and so everything is kind of leading up to that. And in the same way that the reference in the title, again, is sort of about like the ticking clock. Um, I think some of the individual stories sort of get subverted in the service of wanting to focus so heavily on Jonathan's character or the story of Jonathan rather. Um, so like for me, I think again, um, the other standout performance in this piece is Robin de Jesus. And there are ways in which that character has really beautiful moments on mm -hmm. screen and then sort of kind of disappears in the second mm -hmm. half of, of the yeah. film as well. Yeah. Yeah, sad though too. Um, yeah. You know, a three-time Tony nominee, Robin De Jesus, deserves a little bit more than that because um, he was he was very good. And I, it's strange that he was never in the uh, awards conversation because it's such a lackluster year, in my opinion, for the supporting actor category. So I don't know. I I would have thought we would have heard more about him uh, leading up to it, but unfortunately, we have not. Um, yeah. yeah. Is there a particular sequence that you felt was most effective or best uh, executed in that film? 
Um, <laughs> I found a lot of it kind of uneven, to be honest with you. Um, there's this, and I and I was questioning like what the audience, who who the audience was, because um, it's very it's very limiting. Like if if you you have to know who Jonathan Larson is, you have to know who Rent is. Um, the mo the movie can only force feed you so much information. Uh, there's a sequence in a diner that um, is a riff on the Stephen Sondheim Sunday song about Sunday brunch. And um, as it progresses, progresses you, it becomes a who's who of Broadway talent. And for me, I'm like, I get a kick out of that because I know who these people are, but the other, like, is someone else gonna know who these people are? So I don't know. And it was a very long <laughs> sequence. So I was perplexed. And I, I remember watching it and thinking like, it's so wonderful that he's able to collect all these legendary performers together on film, you know, that again can be viewed 20 years from now, 30 years from now, et cetera, mm -hmm. whether or not they were necessarily given um, their acknowledgement is kind of a different thing, right? So it's like, well, I collected all these great people here, but to your point, like if I'm not sure who Joel Gray is and Cheetah Rivera mm -hmm. is and mm -hmm. Felicia Rashad is, you know, um, there's kind of that, that generational gap that exists where he's telling the story in a particular time period about particular people, but then also using contemporary references mm -hmm. that uh, a modern day audience may or may not know as well. But I think he's banking on the fact that it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. He has a huge Broadway following. So mm -hmm. his Broadway audience will follow along, you know, to, to know those references or to see those things. And, yeah, and, and, smart that, and smart that it's on Netflix because if this was a theatrical film, they were probably bombed, but now, you know, everyone can watch it easily at home. So yes, all those Broadway fans who have a Netflix account can easily relish in that scene too. Um, the other moment I think that's really well done is also there's the, the solo piano scene that we have towards the end of the film, which I think also is um, one of the more emotionally rich um, scenes that we get from Andrew in the film mm -hmm. too. Um, so great, let's uh, move on. And Wait, I did Daniel not see this movie? Daniel did not see this movie. Oh, okay. I have not seen it yet, but now knowing that it's on Netflix. Yeah, I, I, always I, was. It was always, it's a Netflix film. I in 20 years can come back. <laughs> like I know all those references and so forth. But I mean, just, you know, touching upon that, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it was perhaps an easier investment for Netflix because, you know, clearly they're a you know, mega streaming site, but I'm sure there's a certain level of legitimacy they want when they start producing movies or, you know, hosting movies that, start receiving these nominations, right? So yeah. I'm not sure yeah. how much that played a role in regards to, you know, also them making this film. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it got a couple of nominations. I think it got a, um, Andrew Garfield got Best Actor, and I believe it also got a, a Best Film Editing Award nomination, which is usually revert, re reserved for Best Picture nominees. So look at that, it was almost there. Yes, at, at the Globes, Andrew did pick up a statue. Um, sure did. Yes, again, musical comedy, and the film was nominated, but again, because it was under musical comedy. Um, <laughs> hashtag my Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's switch gears and move over to our animated feature that we were going to discuss. And so Encanto is obviously uh, doing very well over award season so far. Um, Disney is happy to have this project out. And it is, again, featuring songs from Lin-Memo, 
Miranda, and we also have uh, an all Latinx uh, Latino cast who are voicing these characters. And so I know, Daniel, you are a particularly uh, strong Disney fan. And so what did you think about this one? One could say that. You know, I, I'm really glad it's having its surgeons, or if you will, resurgence on the streaming site Disney Plus. You know, I, I was sure to check it out when it hit theaters um, late last year, in part because I wanted to be sure that my Latino dollars went to support movies that were representative of us. Um, you know, it's, it's just touching upon the movie itself, you know, simply um, the fact that it reflects you know, Latino, Latinas, Latinx characters, different shapes, sizes, um, hues, hair types, was just something I was like, you know what? Um, the fact that a studio is doing this and it's an animated feature, I really enjoyed. Um, I believe it didn't do so well box office wise as they wanted. So the fact that I said you know, right now that people are now streaming it, you know, the songs are on TikTok, everyone's trying to do the dance, I'm really enjoying. Um, you know, people are, are showing their children and the children, um, are seeing themselves represented in ways that they hadn't prior. Um, you know, it, it starts off with a mystery. You know, there is a kind of foreboding prophecy in it, which I do um, appreciate, as I said earlier. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed the music. Uh, it takes place uh, in Colombia, and, and those clothes are reflected, you know, like my father's Colombian. So there were certain things that I just, you know, recognized and felt comfortable in seeing uh, that I hadn't seen previously, you know, in motion picture or in, in animated film. So, you know, it, it's definitely something I would recommend. Definitely a thumbs up. Um, and the bops are in there. So I'm sure you download and stream. <laughs> hey, Pedro, what'd you think? I enjoyed it. And I enjoy it the more times I watch it. Um, it wasn't a hit uh theatrically when it came out in like what was it october november yeah but once it went on streaming it blew up all the, all the songs are blowing up and um they had no idea they had a hit in their hands in november when they had to uh submit what songs they wanted to get nominated and then <laughs> from when the film started streaming you know the we don't talk about bruno blew up you know, insane. Now it's like the number one song on Billboard, which, you know, for Disney, they haven't done that since 1992 with A Whole New World. So for them, that's huge. And I wondered if they, if they knew they had that hit, if they would have submitted that song, because it's, they probably would have won, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, securing his EGOT, which I think he's probably going to get anyway. So, you know, coincidentally, just parallel wise. So, it's interesting to hear about 1992's um, Whole New World. Uh, in the movie uh, Little Mermaid, they actually put up Under the Sea because they felt the part of your world was yeah. down, you know, and who would have known the, like, you know, decades later, that's like such a signature iconic song. You know, mm -hmm. so they have a history of not really knowing or forecasting what um, pieces will be, you know, kind of more recognized and moralized and loved and beloved you know, down the road. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I believe it, it surpassed Let It Go, right? It did. Sure. Let It Go never went to number one, which oh. is surprising. And this song did. And there's a, there's a couple of songs off of Encanto that are, that are doing well. It's not just the Bruno song, which is, which is very interesting. Um, it's like, um, you, 
it's it's interesting because a lot of people I know who don't like Lin Manuel Miranda, um, <laughs> uh, they seem to really enjoy the music to Encanto, which is very interesting because I could hear his music. I could whenever I hear that soundtrack, I could hear In the Heights. I hear Hamilton. Um, I hear some of Moana. Um, but it's it, I mean it doesn't that doesn't detract to it. It's still really good. Still really strong work. Yeah, and for clarification, the song that is nominated, right, is Los Oruguitas. So just so, you know, as much as we're loving, we don't talk about Bruno. Mm -hmm. uh, that isn't the one that's nominated right now. Um, again, this song is performed by Sebastian Yatra. Um, again, the lyrics are by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's interesting, I think, just to your point really quickly, Pedro, that with Lin-Manuel, um, I was actually more taken by his songs in Moana because it felt like there was more of a uh, juxtaposition of his style and trying to infuse it in this island-themed film, but that was still kind of cross-cultural. So he was sort of, mm -hmm. which I think is part of, on a different note, um, what obviously has attracted so many people to Hamilton is this sense that you're kind of infusing one style of music with a different cultural representation of what does that look like? And so I think in some ways that doesn't make it less impressive that that's happening in Encanto, but you don't have that same cross-cultural reference that's sort of happening, or it's not as obvious, I think. Um, but the film is doing well. And I think overall, um, you know, people are responding to it because of the broad representation that exists in it, right? So like the family members are comprised of many different skin tones, many different hair textures, many different body types. And so I think that there's a strong um, sense that lots of people can see themselves represented in the film, um, even if not necessarily directly as saying like, well, I am from Colombia or I look exactly like that person, but that reminds me of my cousin or my aunt mm -hmm. or my brother or someone else that I know. Um, that is from my community. And so it feels like at least you're seeing, if not yourself, then someone that you know that maybe we haven't seen in the same format before. And um, if I could just add, Meryl, yeah. um, in regards to Encanto, you know, one of the things that, you know, upon a, also, you know, later viewing of it, the kind of less pronounced storylines that people can relate with, like dealt with immigration, and dealt with intergenerational conflict, dealt with trauma, you know, so these are also things I think that, you know, really do a good job putting in place that if you don't pick up the first time around, maybe seeing it, you know, in future viewings can, so I'd recommend reviewing it for those reasons. Good tips to keep in mind. So let's switch gears and talk a little bit further about West Side Story. So obviously, Yep, West Side Story has also been um, highly recognized across award season. Um, interestingly, in different, um, I would say, awards uh, circles, the film has been nominated but not necessarily awarded. Um, the one thing that's been consistent and where we can start is obviously Ariana DeBose. She mm -hmm. also just received her first Oscar nomination this week. And so why don't we start, Pedro, with uh, Ariana, her performance, and some thoughts about West Side Story. Much deserved nomination, soon to be win. I am predicting this already. She's going to sweep every, she already won a globe. She's going to sweep every other award. And I couldn't be happier. She's perfect, absolutely perfect. Every time she's on screen, it, it blows up, you know? <laughs> she's wonderful. Uh, I love the movie a lot. <laughs> I wish I saw it more than once, but I was spoiled seeing it at a really good screen. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever gonna replicate that again. 
Um, but I, I absolutely loved it. I thought um, Spielberg did a wonderful job um, highlighting um, the injustices and racism and violence of that time. Um, I thought it was a very um, bold decision to not subtitle the Spanish uh, language, alienating a lot of, <laughs> of the white audience to uh, further emphasize that disconnect. Um, and I loved that um, he reflected the production design to almost look like Saving Private Ryan. I thought that was wonderful. And um, I'm surprised that Tony Kushner did not get an adapted screenplay nomination. I would have, I would have thought he would have, he was a shoe. And I, I, I loved all of the updates that were, that were there. I didn't like many people when I heard that Spielberg was remaking West Side Story, I was uh, sad. <laughs> um, I was heavily resistant because why would anyone want to climb that mountain? But he surely did it, and he did it very well in many ways. This surpasses the original. Yeah. Great. And Daniel, what are your thoughts? Copy and paste what Pedro said. <laughs> you know, um, every time Anita was on screen, I was just captivated and mesmerized. I really enjoyed her. Uh, portrayal of Anita, you know, honestly, I had not seen the original. Um, I too, though, wondered why Steven Spielberg was redoing it. You know, I think at a time where relaunches, redo, remakes, you know, are just done, you know, I wonder why, you know, are there limited original scripts? Um, and then, you know, my kind of knowledge of West Side Story, you know, were just clips used in commercials of whimsy and, you know, meant to be hokey. So I didn't have a full understanding of the story itself. I knew that, you know, it was loosely adapted um, of Romeo and Juliet. You know, it had the kind of, you know, Puerto Rican twist on it. I knew that Rita um, Moreno had won the Oscar for it, uh, but I, I definitely wanted to give it a try because I wanted to see it. And everything that Pedro says, I just reiterate, you know, I was just, you know, I, as a, you know, born and raised New Yorker, learned a few things about this city. You know, I, grown up, you know, it's, it's, it's very rare as a New Yorker to grow up and not see gentrification happening pretty much every year at some capacity, some version, you know, so unlike other places where it may take time, it's happening here all the time. So able to see that and see that was happening, you know, just decades even before my birth, seeing what, you know, um, cultures were being impacted, how it's playing, how socioeconomically uh, groups were being affected and, and how they're kind of pit against each other was quite interesting. You know, I, I, I didn't notice, Pedro, you know, that subtitles weren't used. Mm -hmm. kind of interesting you know um i i wonder how non-spanish speakers interpreted that i'm gonna ask people who i know saw it to see what their interpretation was of that and how they you know like i don't know how well received it was <laughs> <laughs> probably not but I've, yeah. I've, seen other, I've seen it done in other tv shows and movies where it isn't subtitled you know i, I um uh, particularly with some shows in the past and you know I, I don't think I've, I've personally ever had an issue with it but it's interesting yeah I think um, for me the film was very successful uh, I know we've talked about this before I think of it more again as a reinterpretation of the story and less of a remake so I think that's helpful for people to kind of make that distinction in their minds when they walk into seeing this film um, 
and keeping in mind that this retelling or this reinterpretation in the same way Pedro and I have talked about this also before, um, you know, offline about how Broadway revivals kind of happen in a way where we can see the same story told to us in a different format and people can, can engage with it perhaps differently than they do thinking about film and things feeling like they have to sort of um, regurgitate what's already been done before, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's maybe part of what some of the resistance for some people is and saying like, well, this doesn't remind me enough of the original. And I don't think that it was supposed to. I think it was very intentional to say like, we want to do something different. We want to include the pieces and the parts that weren't there the first time. We want to broaden this story and maybe make it less pretty, make it more gritty, make it more grounded in the experience of what New York would have actually felt like in, mm -hmm. in, those, um, in those years and as it might feel for some people still now. Um, I think there's a way in which the way that the musical numbers, again, are sequenced is slightly different, and I think that changes a little bit of the storytelling. Um, this is, I think, the most obvious, both with the placement of I Feel Pretty and also the way that um, America takes place in the film. So again, I think for the purposes of just, you know, interpreting the story differently, America in this version of the film is this, you know, joyous celebration and almost like a declaration of saying, you know, like, we're already here, we don't have to ask for permission to be here, and we're going to celebrate who we are in our fullness. Mm -hmm. And America in the first film, I think, again, takes place in a way where it's sort of like this angry response to what's just happened in the gym, and this sense of like, you know, the unfairness of, of what that struggle of being an immigrant is and mm -hmm. in this version it, it the struggle is not the center of that of that song right the the center of that song is really like we're here and we love who we are and you're gonna have to get used to it because it's mm -hmm. the daytime and we're dancing in the middle of the street <laughs> yeah, not right. on, not on a dark rooftop right right <laughs> Um, and so I, I just think there are tons of things that are really interesting. Again, um, Rita Moreno obviously has another amazing performance in this film. She's invited back to be part of the cast in a new character that didn't exist as Valentina, again, Doc's widow. Um, I think she also um, brings a really unique aspect to this story in representing a small business owner who is a woman and Latina at that time. She also represents this idea of someone who's been in an interracial relationship and knows the struggles of that. And she serves as the historian for the neighborhood in some ways. So she kind of gives us these reflections on not only her own life, but having watched these generations of kids either growing up in that neighborhood, if it's the white children that she's now seeing as teenagers and young adults, or seeing the arrival of these young Latinos and young Puerto Ricans that want to be part of this community. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I was very moved by her performance and happy to see her included in the film. I think that for some folks, they were concerned that she was just being kind of added in mm -hmm. um, for the name. And I think she brought all of the talent and skill that we know she has to, to the performance. Yeah, and she gets to sing somewhere. Yes. And it brings a whole different context to the song, um, which uh, to me is much stronger. Um, and I don't know, is it, as is it as optimistic as it was in the original? I don't think <laughs> it's as optimistic. I think that what it asks for is sort of a response to saying like, why haven't things changed yet? Mm -hmm. right? So the sense of like, in both instances, the song is hopeful, but the hopefulness I think in the original is like we're imagining when it's gonna be better or how it could be better. And I think in this reinterpretation, 
Valentina singing it is more like, I thought it was going to be better by now, and it still isn't, um, which is a, a different feeling that it leaves the audience with, mm -hmm. which, again, allegedly, uh, to uh, her credit, she's been quoted in interviews saying that she did it in one take on a day that she wasn't feeling that well. So <laughs> that tells you, you know, everything you need to know about Rita and her talent, <laughs> if she can do that I'm not in one surprised. take. Yeah. I'm not surprised. She's very amazing. Um, I also love how her character, um, like she's not perfect. You know, the scene where Anita gets um, attacked is a very, very powerful scene. And um, when Anita kind of holds a mirror to, to Valentina, you know, I was, I was shocked because she was, she was right. And, you know, um, it was good. It was a good decision to, to do that with that character, to, to show that, you know, she's, <laughs> she's also human. She's not perfect. You know, she's made some choices. La, 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 la. Yeah, I also appreciate yeah, that. You know, I, I I felt hers upon some reflection was probably the most complex character for that reason. You know, I think a lot of times it's easy to kind of just label someone that's trying to navigate the realities of you know the neighborhood that she's in, the individuals. You know, it's it's all these you know both groups to a degree have kind of had their you know people have washed their hands of them and we're done with them, right? And she's kind of been there trying to keep hope and build kind of the sense of community. And it could be viewed by either side that she's in fact an enabler of creating that. So, you know, I, I, as I said, I hadn't seen the first one, but I don't know if that role or that viewpoint was reflected in it. I really appreciate that aspect of it. I mean, and that's something that could be applied today in a variety of ways, you know, like, oh, if, if you're not anti, you know, one particular group or cause, mm -hmm. um, are you pro it? but you in fact can just be someone that's trying to navigate and use whatever systems or parameters or barriers you have in place to kind of work within it. So, you know, that in itself was kind of, you know, for a smaller role compared to the other cast, you know, was had to me the most impact, at least in my thinking. Yep. So moving on to our next film, uh, we have the other musical of this year uh, featuring a mostly Latino cast or Latinx and Latina performers. So this is In the Heights. Uh, again, the only real um, major attention that's gotten awards season-wise has been uh, at the Golden Globes. Again, the lead, uh, Anthony Ramos, was nominated in the Best Musical Comedy uh, category um, for playing Usnavi. The film as a whole, unfortunately, hasn't really got a lot of recognition. Um, I know we've talked about this all previously. I did not have the chance to see it in theaters. I saw it streaming at home. Um, I enjoyed it. I've seen the original um, work on stage and I was surprised that it has gotten more attention, but maybe that's also because it came out too early on for award season to remember it. I don't know. Pedro, what do you think? That's a summer movie. It was, it's, it's a, it's a summer movie. Like that's when I saw it, I saw it in the theaters, it was one of the first films I saw in the theater during the pandemic and it was completely worth it. I knew that it was gonna be a summer movie right from knowing the plot and watching the play. It takes place in a very hot day. That would not be a winter, that's not a winter film. You know, um, it's a shame that the movie got murdered by seemingly everyone. Um, I still think it's a beautiful film. I watched it again a week ago um, and I, I loved it. I, between In the Heights and West Side Story, 
I was rejuvenated by the musical film genre. While West Side Story is very nostalgic, I thought In the Heights moved the needle further in a, in a positive way for musical films. Um, and it's a shame that the casting directors seemingly got it all wrong. Pedro, do you think, I'm curious when you're Pedro, do you think if the movie or the, the story of In the Heights were a bit more doom and gloom, you know, more, more um, showing, you know, kind of oppressive systems towards Latinos would have gotten more of an award season kind of buzz, you know, because I know that, you know, other movies and roles are recognized when it's doing with, you know, people's hardship and, you know, it has that kind of cathartic build for it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not one for torture porn, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think the lack of, it's not the most popular musical, so it doesn't have a lot of name recognition. The name recognition was Lin-Manuel Miranda. You know, I, I'm surprised it even got the budget that it got. You know, it, it was a huge budget, um, completely tanked, uh, I was hoping that the streaming would have helped it in its favor, and it didn't. Um, I don't know why people ran, like, I mean, I know about, like, the, the, the reactions towards the colorism to it, but I, I thought that, you know, they would see it anyway and, and, still, in, and still talk about the positives of it, of it because it's, it's not... It's not a piece of junk, you know, a lot of it's, it's a movie about joy, you know, in, in, a, in a fantastical fantasia of Washington Heights that does not exist. <laughs> I would say I was pleasantly surprised, you know, I had not seen the musical on Broadway when it came out. I remember being resident about it because of the fact that, you know, I felt, you know, who is this really for, you know, is it really made for musical and, you know, Broadway folks? Uh, that, that, you know, when the original was out was not me, but I was interested in seeing it and I did catch it via streaming. Um, I did not give it my Latino dollars, unfortunately, but uh, I, I enjoyed it because, you know, it was kind of contributing to musicals, again, with, you know, a full Latin cast, Latinx cast, or attempting to, you know, it was a Latinx story, you know, has to do with a neighborhood that I am familiar with, um, kind of stories that my uh, parents, siblings, cousins can relate to, you know, just tying back to, and it wasn't my intent, you know, the character of um, Valentina and how she had to navigate, you know, it's interesting that, you know, kind of the backlash that Lin-Manuel received in part because of the colorism, you know, and, and it's, it can be applied, that character is kind of, you know, the critique for that character can be applied towards him, you know, there are some that really feel like, you know, before he put this out, what was out there for us, you know, like, can we recognize the efforts that are being made in putting this piece of art out mm -hmm. there when we didn't have it versus nitpicking, you know, what could have been done or not. And he's, he of course, apologized and he recognized um, that lacking in it. Um, but, you not, know, he really shouldn't have, because that's not his, that's not his job. You know, that's, this is, this is casting, casting 101. I mean, I would have, I would have pointed my fingers directly at them and been like, what is this? I, I would just presume there's probably things behind the scenes, particularly in Hollywood that, you know, you kind of have to, you know, not cause big stink about, because I, I also agree, I don't know if you had to apologize, and, you know, Rita, 
you know, herself when she was mm-hmm. on, I don't remember which late night show made a comment and kind of support and similar statements. What I'm saying. Yeah. And then she got, she got thrown to the wolves for that too. Yes, that she did. But, you know, I mean, in, 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 you know, that just being a piece of art as now, you know, contributed to, you know, the plethora of art that's out there that doesn't necessarily affect our people. I appreciate and I'm grateful more for that than itself. But, you know, I mean, I had, I had thoughts about the movie that just, you know, I think, um, it didn't really swing me either way in regards to it being the best movie I've ever seen or the worst. Is it still streaming on HBO? Yeah, I watched it last week. <laughs> people watch it, people, you know, like, I mean, hopefully that will be, you know, a, a call classic, right? Because a lot of times yep. musicals can have a resurgence years later. People were just sing up, you know, thinking they discovered something. So hopefully that'll happen yep. with that movie. Yep. Yeah, I think that there are a number of positive um, points, obviously, again, to just thinking about going back to this sense of sort of behind the scenes and, creators and what gets greenlit or not. I think the fact that we had two very large, big budget, um, mostly Latino cast films out this year lends itself to at least the idea that those kinds of projects can be made again. They may not be made to the same scale and it may again take a certain amount of name recognition to get them done, but it means that it's possible to do. So I think in the same way that we kind of celebrated the commercial success of um, Black Panther, and also the great representation that it presented, um, the commercial success of Crazy Rich Asians, and then the way in which that also brought in representation. I think these films at least lend themselves to us thinking, well, it's possible for our community as well, too. Um, and these may not have been the most, the best vehicles to do that, but it lends itself to the possibility of saying, like, we can do a film about Latinos and Latinx and Latin communities featuring those kinds of performers, telling those kinds of stories, and there's an audience for it. Um, obviously in the space of COVID and the year of, of the box office blues, as we'll call yeah. it, you know, nothing was making as much money as they were anticipating it would, but at least it lets us know that there is a, a market for it and that there is talent that can produce and execute that kind mm-hmm. of work. Um, I'm curious to see if West Side Story is gonna become a hit and streaming. Cause I get it. I mean, the, the, the demographic that they wanted is not going to the movies, I get it. Um, but then there's also this demographic of people who are like, well, I don't want to see it because I love the original, which is, which is also strange, mm-hmm. you know? Um, well, and it may be, again, I think through word of mouth, as we've seen happen before, people might have a lot of um, reservations about viewing or supporting something until they know someone personally that's seen it. And then depending on sort of that recommendation or the, the response that way, then it's like, well, if you said you didn't hate it, then I'll give it a look. Or if you yeah. said you really loved it, I'll try it, you know, et cetera. So, I mean, you would think the seven Oscar nominations would be enough. Well, I, I think the people that are interested in, in award season went to see it for that purpose, right? But I think for other people, they're like, well, that's not enough of a draw for me yet, but that just means they're missing out and then they'll get to see it, you know? And Disney Plus on March 2nd or something. Exactly. <laughs> um, so one other quick thought about In the Heights as somebody who was born and raised in Washington Heights, I think it's also important to note that, you know, again, in this space of thinking about sort of like Latin creators and storytellers and talent and how those things come together to produce the art that we're seeing, it's also unrealistic to think that one film should in fact tell every single story of every single experience that ever existed. Mm -hmm. And so there were some parts of the film that I was like, I can completely relate to that. And there were other parts I was like, that wasn't my experience in Washington Heights. But I also know that like, I lived there for a few decades in a very particular point in time. And so our experiences may not be exactly the same and I'm okay with that. Um, Other quick mention, again, as we kind of come to a close, 
Um, another person that seemed sort of overlooked in this space of award season was the grandmother in in the heights and i think in a different year for best supporting actress she would have been nominated we would have seen her name pop up and and unfortunately she also sort of was overlooked for that performance yeah yeah the whole movie got um steamrolled and um along with everything of value with it including her performance the production design which i thought was fantastic um the sound the cinematography everything steamrolled yeah and that was uh olga meredith and so uh mm -hmm. we should be on the lookout again hopefully for her next project too um as we're coming to a close here really quick i wanted to also give a quick mention to penelope cruz who also was nominated this week for best actress for her role uh um in parallel mothers uh her latest collaboration with pedro almodovar and they obviously have a long history of working together pedro i know you saw it some quick thoughts on her performance uh, and the nomination. I, when i heard her name called up i screamed i was so ecstatic she as usual was wonderful again because he knows how to use her in ways that no other filmmaker knows she's absolutely fantastic she probably gave my best my favorite performance out of that entire category. The movie was good too. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think that again, you know, from the moment that, that the credits roll and she's like the first thing that we see and then we close with her at the end, like she keeps you engaged and kind of glued to the screen the whole mm -hmm. time. Her narrative is not only complex, but also emotional. And I think it's been a while since we've seen her in that kind of role. So um, I was definitely, right along with you cheering away and saying okay they got it right they got it right they got it right you know i was um i was more sad not to see a lot of color represented in that category um with penelope being the 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 most color that you'll see in that category right now um but i'm i'm just really happy she got in it's it's just well deserved you know and I'm also happy that um, uh, Kristen Stewart got in. We were starting to get worried, but you know, she was in Spencer that was directed by the Chilean filmmaker, Pablo Lorraine, um, who's always kind of been uh, overlooked. But this film is is very much on par with his oeuvre. You know, in um, if you see any of his Chilean films, they're always um, idiosyncratic character studies with, shocking displays of violence and Spencer is is no different and Kristen Stewart was fantastic so thank you so much Pedro for joining us today for this conversation again about award season Latinx representation and thinking about Latino creators storytelling and performances obviously many of these shows are about to come up so we'll see who actually walks away with the statue and we'll probably have another conversation after that um, but for now we'll take a pause here and we just want to thank you again for your time thanks to daniel for being with us daniel and i are going to stick around and have another conversation um but in the meantime okay. without me <laughs> without Pedro. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime again you can check us out uh, on instagram at beyond latinx you can also catch this episode of connections plus on all streaming platforms so you can find us where you get your podcasts either on spotify apple Podcasts, google podcasts or you can see our video on youtube mm -hmm. so thanks for joining us adios y abrazos and we'll catch you next time